when we are explosive, when we yell, when our children are in a meltdown, our nervous system is in what is called a dysregulated state. What that means is that our nervous system, for whatever reason, flipped the switch to say something dangerous is happening right now. And the only behaviors available in that state are fight, flight, freeze, fawn. So when we explode on our kids or when our kids explode, that means we are in a fight state. It's a dysregulated state. So to get out of it, yelling is not going to get you out of it. This episode is brought to you by the Blissful Parenting Toolbox. If you're looking for better ways to communicate with your child, deal with challenging behavior, or just improve your parenting skills, our free parenting toolbox contains the best resources from our expert workshops, as well as contributions from our podcast guests. These tools could be the missing link that you've been looking for to solve everyday parenting challenges and to access highly effective ways to communicate with your child without triggering conflict, arguments, or meltdowns. The best part is that these resources, tools, and templates are completely free and are a gift to you for being a valued member of our community and subscriber to our show. To get free instant access to the Blissful Parenting Toolbox today by visiting www.blissfulparenting.com forward slash toolbox. That address again, www.blissfulparenting.com forward slash toolbox. Register today and we'll see you on the inside. Hello, Blissful Parents, Michelle Abraham, your host here today. And have I got a great guest for you? I have got Rachel Duffy with me here today. Hey, Rachel, how are you doing? Hi, Michelle. Hi, so great to have you here, Rachel. I'm excited to share you with our audience. And audience, let me tell you a little bit more about Rachel. So Rachel helps fix every relationship in your family. Thank goodness there's someone that can do that. <laughs> we all need a little fixing in our families, don't we? So she works with parents to help them raise kids without bribing, constantly rewarding or yelling, threatening or ending the day feeling guilty so you can finally build deep connection, harmony and find ease in your family life. She's both a trauma-informed coach and a certified conscious parenting coach with a GD in family law and mediation. With over two decades of combined experience as a family lawyer and parenting coach, Rachel has spent her entire adult life in the trenches with families. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Such a great combination, unique combination. Rachel uses a proprietary combination of practical and tactical tools alongside her deep, deeper trauma-informed healing modalities, spiritual growth, and a good dose of wisdom. Unlike traditional coaching models that rely on quick fixes to put out fires, Rachel helps you create life-lasting change by showing you how to identify and address the root causes of draining relationships in your family. Ooh, this is going to be a juicy one, Rachel. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for jumping in with us today. I'm so um, honored to be here and to share this space with you and the listeners. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Well, this is really what I love about this is that you're helping us identify and address the root causes of some of the things that are happening in families. So um, we are sitting here post pandemic, and there's been a lot of like craziness happening in families over the last few years. 
what are you seeing out there right now as like some big issues? I think a big thing that happened for all families in the pandemic, since we were all kind of overnight almost Mm. thrown into isolation, and we really had to look at what was already in our family. So it's not that the pandemic created new issues, although obviously there's been a lot of uncertainty and anxiety. But really what I'm seeing is it has magnified and amplified the problems that were already there. And in many ways, I feel like that's a good thing because the things needed to be addressed. And maybe before we were able to kind of work around or sweep them under the rug, so to speak, during the pandemic, that wasn't possible anymore because parents were home, children were home. We had to kind of figure out how to help them through online learning, which is a, was a huge challenge for everyone. And all the emotional stuff was there in the room with nobody else to, you know, kind of deal with it. We were the only ones with our children, with our own anxieties, with our partner's anxieties. So it was really kind of like throwing us into sort of a Petri dish, if you will. Absolutely. And one of the other things I noticed too, is that we were taken, what was taken away from us was the ability to go and like exercise and like have space away from people and do our thing, uh, which would normally help with our mental health. Uh, it was no longer an option unless we all did it together in the living room <laughs> as a family. So, uh, you know, one of the topics we talked about diving into today was raising kids without raising our voices. And that really probably was um, amplified in a lot of families uh, with just short tempers with that, without that ability to go and relax and exercise or meditate or have space away from each other. Um, that was probably something that was really uh, like, as you say, the, the ugly lights were turned on <laughs> in, in some homes. And if it was maybe a little bit going on uh, when you were able to avoid each other, there was maybe when you're not able to avoid each other, a lot more of that going on. So I love how you really are working to help families um, raise kids without yelling. Because I feel like the, I came from a family that didn't yell, but I married into a family that yells and it it's traumatic for me. <laughs> Can't imagine my kids. So yeah, share with us a little bit about what that, what, what are the consequences of when we raise our voices? So first of all, I love that you brought up that you came from a certain family where things were done a certain way and you married into something else. And that is a shock. It is <laughs> a shock because there is sort of, an assumption that everybody grows up more or less the same, and it's really not true. So I, I love your awareness around that, and I and I empathize because I also I actually came from a family where there was a lot of yelling, and my husband's family they didn't really talk about stuff so much, and it was it was interesting for us to navigate that too. So. I, I just <laughs> empathize. Of course, you marry someone that's opposite, right? <laughs> yes, yes, right. And that's an interesting question too. Like, why is that? But that's a topic for another podcast. Right. When it comes to yelling, I think why this is the problem and why we want to move away from it, there, there are a few reasons. Number one, it doesn't feel good. So even when you yell at your kids and you get them to do the thing you're asking them to do, Technically, it's a win, but it really isn't because at the end, if you're honest with yourself, 
it doesn't feel good because deep down inside, you know, you've chipped away at the relationship. And really what we want deep down inside every parent, we want connection. We want deep connection with our children. That's why we became parents in the first place. It's not to do 21 loads of laundry a week. It's to have that deep connection with someone that you are guiding through life. You're helping them build skills. You're having fun with them. There's, you know, there, there are so much richness in the, in the parent child relationship. And we can't get there because we're still stuck in these loops of kids aren't listening. We don't know what to do with that. So we kind of bottle it in, bottle it in, bottle it in until we explode. Then we yell and then we feel guilty about it. So it's this, you know, vicious cycle that I would say 90% of parents find themselves in. And it's very difficult to break out of that cycle because if you're not yelling, then how are you going to get your kids to listen? Or especially if that's the only way you know how, right? And it's interesting. So why, like, why is parenting now like such a good vehicle for our our, our self development? Like, it really makes us look at like what we need to work on ourselves. Like, it's so interesting, right? So you know, a lot. I think many parents, if you polled parents, they would tell you parenting is not easy. But it's not easy. It's hard, not for the reasons we think it's hard. It's hard because it makes us face our stuff. Because for the first time, I think this current generation of parents for the first time is actually examining and even challenging what has always been traditionally done in parenting. The traditional model of parenting, the way we grew up, is for the first time being challenged. And that's an amazing thing. It's a great thing. It's also a difficult thing because when you challenge the previous model, when you're breaking the rules, now there's no template to work from. Right. So you have to be making it up as you go along, which is very hard to do without guidance. So the parents, I'm seeing families where parents are very intentional, very aware, doing a lot of self-work. Those parents are having the, you know, the best parenting experience that I've ever seen. So those families are creating the dream family, their own dream family. On the flip side, most families are lost because they don't want the template from previous generations, yet they haven't replaced it. So this is the opportunity. If, If you're listening to this conversation right now and you're identifying with, yes, I don't want to do things the way they've been done, but at the same time, I don't have a roadmap. I don't have a new template that feels aligned with my values. Right. This is your opportunity to find the right community, find the right mentor, find the right guide, educate yourself, go all in on yourself mm. so that you can then create that template that is right for you. Love it. Because if we didn't, we weren't raised in the template that we want to model. <laughs> and maybe some of us were, some of us weren't, and, or both parents weren't or whatever. But now it's just creating this need. So where do we find that good role model now for ourselves? And how do we know what is the right template for our families? I'm going to give you an honest answer. It might not be the answer people want to hear, but here's the truth. You are the role model. You are the one that has to step in 
to the leader position in your family. Now, that might sound really scary because you want, let's say most parents, I would say, want to help their children develop social emotional skills, emotional skills that we didn't have anyone guiding us through. And we find ourselves now as adults in our 30s, 40s, 50s, trying to develop that for ourselves too. So we would love to kind of shortcut that for our children, give them those emotional skills so that they can navigate realities that we didn't have growing up, right? The internet, we didn't have that when we grew up. Right. Online bullying, there's, there's so their reality that our children are living is very different from the world we grew up in. How do we give them the skills they need to navigate that successfully? How do we help them build confidence, resilience? There's all kinds of stuff, all kinds of skills mm-hmm. we know they need. We know it because we needed to develop those too. Right. So how do we become that role model that can then guide them? Well, we have to develop that within ourselves first. That is how we know how to guide them through it too. And for those of us who didn't have a role model, it means you have to go and find the tribe, find the village, create that village. There are communities of parents out there doing the work. There are communities led by um, you know, therapists or coaches or mentors or there are memberships like you find the right place for you, but go find it. Mm. And because you can't, you cannot do this on your own. <laughs> Absolutely. You find that tribe of that support. And, you know, when you have others that are also working towards the same goals, I think that's a lot easier than trying to be the one person doing it on your own, especially enlisting your partner in uh, supporting it as well. So how do you decide what is the right, um, what is the right way of doing things that because there's lots of different different ones out there right now. There's lots of different styles of things out there right now. So how do you pick which one works for your family? I love this question, you know, and first of all, I want to speak, you brought up the partner thing. A lot of parents have this experience where they're interested in seeking out different solutions and their partner might not be. And if that is you listening right now, it's doubly important for you to go find that community for yourself. Because if you are living in in an environment at home where your personal growth is not necessarily supported, where the way you want a parent is not supported, how successful are you truly going to be on your own? It's an uphill battle. So it's super important for those of you who find yourself not on the same page with your partner. Now, to your question, how do I know what's right? You're right. There's a million styles out there. There's gentle parenting and conscious parenting. And there there really is like we could spend all day listing yeah. the different modalities out there. Personally, you ha- this is part of you have to know who you are and you have to trust your own intuition as a parent, because this is the truth. No one knows your children better than you do. No one. There is no expert. There is no therapist, no psychiatrist, no professional that can tell you how to raise your children better than you can. What someone else can do is help you flesh out your parenting style. 
So for me personally, I am, I've always been a very multi-passionate, interdisciplinary type of person. So when I looked at what is the right way for me to raise my family, I pulled from multiple disciplines because that felt right to me. It never felt right to me to go all in on one thing. I always felt like there was something missing in that. So I pull from a lot of different modalities. That's why I I went and got went very deep in conscious parenting and polyvagal theory and internal family systems and compassionate inquiry. And I use the tools that I learned and developed in my decade plus as being a mediator and, and a negotiator. So there's a lot of stuff to pull from. And when, when I work with clients, I have all the different tools so they can pick what's right for them. Of course, you know, I personally don't resonate with some of the more traditional kind of ways of parenting, like we discussed a bit earlier about, you know, I personally don't use positive or negative reinforcement to shape my children's behavior because that doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel right to me. So you do, you have to kind of know what feels good and what doesn't. Yeah. But at the same time, don't limit yourself to just one way as if that one way has all the answers. Like that's, that's part of your self-development is developing that trust, the connection to your intuition and the trust, self-trust that you know what's right for your family. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. Like there is there is there is some detective work that needs to happen going out there, right? Because there are so many different styles and so many different philosophies and so many different things out there that can work and they will work, but will they work for you? And I think that's really a really the key thing there too. And plus you have you're adding the layer of some some homes now are multi-generational, which then when you're trying to change the template of how you were raised or they were raised when the, those parents are still in the house too. That adds a whole other layer of complexity to, to the whole, to the whole um, situation. So, yeah. Right. And not to mention, like we, you know, like we started this discussion, my partner and your partner grew up totally different. So they also have a completely different idea right. of what it means to be a good parent. How, how should we be raising our kids? Right. So there, you're right. There's all these different things happening at the same time, different ideas. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. A lot of times parents come to me and they're like, we're on completely different pages and that's a problem. And I say, is it though? It may not be such a problem like you think it is. Maybe it's a good thing for your children to also be exposed to the fact that there's a lot of different ways. All roads lead to Rome. Right. There are a lot of different ways to parent and it's not necessarily it's not always confusing and damaging to the kids when both parents are not on the same page. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. And maybe peacefully and not on the same page would be the caveat to that. Right. (laughs) Agreeing to disagree (laughs) and doing things their way. Yeah. I love that. Uh, it's interesting, you know, um, other reason I have this podcast in the first place is so that I can explore all the different modalities by having so many different experts on this show. I mean, I feel like I've become such a better parent <laughs> just from hosting this show alone, just hearing all these different things and trying them out and testing out what works and what doesn't work and 
I love that. And so going back to our raising kids without raising our voices, what are some tips you have for parents that feel like they're on that verge of yelling all the time? Yeah. So I think, you know, the way I look at it is what, what is really happening? We think we're just having, having difficulty managing behavior. And that leads us to relying heavily on taking away privileges, giving a consequence as the means to control and correct unwanted behavior while using rewards, bribes, praise as a means to encourage more desirable behaviors. That's kind of the default most parents go into. And right. I get it. This is how it's always been done. Well, like and... the template we used to use. Yeah. <laughs> right. And even if you look at it there from like the perspective of psychology, there are so many studies out there that have been done on animals, rats, dogs that show this is how you shape behavior. So I get it. It does work to some degree because if you're honest with yourself, if we're honest with ourselves, positive and negative reinforcement can work in the moment, but they rarely, if ever, lead to meaningful, long-lasting change in behavior. So if anything, most parents are baffled at how two days, two hours, Sometimes it's even just two minutes later, their child is doing the exact thing they just tried to correct, right? So if positive and negative reinforcement truly worked, then why does it feel like we're living in Groundhog Day? Right. <laughs> so, so the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> no wonder we're going insane as parents. <laughs> exactly. And then there's also... For, for many of us, many of us parents have this looming question in the back of our minds. If all I'm doing is putting out fires and managing behavior, am I building the connection I want in my family so that my kids can develop that, those emotional skills we talked about so that they grow up to be well-adjusted adults so that they want to stay close even when they don't have to? right? Even when they're grownups, are they still going to want to be around me? And the truth is that every parent that has successfully changed and corrected their children's behavior without using positive or negative reinforcement focuses on understanding their children beyond behavior. Mm -hmm. And this is really, I think the crux of it is understanding where these behaviors come from, why they happen, how to effectively bring everyone down a notch in the heat of the moment, ourselves too, by the way, not just our kids. And then how do we prevent these explosions and fires from happening in the first place? And that involves understanding the connection between someone's behavior, the thoughts they're thinking, the emotions they're feeling, and understanding how to communicate to your nervous system, to your emotional needs. So there's a lot to kind of dig into in there, but just to kind of give you a high level idea, it's about understanding a little bit how the brain works. We don't have to be neuroscientists, but a little bit, we have to understand how the brain and the nervous system work. And if we don't 
understand our own bodies and our children's bodies, then really we're just crossing our fingers and hoping that something works. We're just throwing spaghetti at the wall, hoping that something sticks. So hoping the volcano doesn't explode, right? Exactly. Yeah. So so you're suggesting do a little bit of research on, you know, what are those connections? How do they make? So if you have, if you're finding yourself in a home right now where there is explosive behavior, um, what would you suggest that parents start with? Like doing a little bit of research on those, that emotion connect, doing some more connecting. What, what are some other things that you might suggest? So one thing that I teach most of my um, my students and my clients right off the bat is this exercise that I call figure eight, figure eight eyes. Oh, yeah. And uh, if you want, I can share the exercise yeah. with you because yeah. it's really easy. But let me just explain what it does is we have to communicate. When, when we are explosive, when we yell, when our children are in a meltdown, our nervous system is in what is called a dysregulated state. What that means is that our nervous system, for whatever reason, flipped the switch to say something dangerous is happening right now. And the only behaviors available in that state are fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Most of us are very familiar with fight, flight. So when we explode on our kids, or when our kids explode, mm-hmm. that means we are in a fight state. It's a dysregulated state. So to get out of it, yelling is not going to get you out of it. In order to get out of it, you have to talk to the nervous system mm-hmm. and flip off the switch. Right. So one way to do this, and this is not an exercise for the heat of the moment. This is an exercise to do just throughout the day when everyone is calm, so that your nervous system at baseline is regulated. Mm -hmm. So it's called figure eight eyes, and it's very simple. And you can do this with your kids. You take your finger and you trace the number eight sideways. And you just follow your finger. It's kind of the infinity sign. You just trace and follow your finger. And you don't don't do it very fast because it might make you dizzy. You pick your own pace. What what happens is it forces your eyes to really explore your peripheral vision. And that communicates to your nervous system that you're safe. Why? Because when you're not safe, the first thing your nervous system tells your eyes to do is focus forward. Because imagine if you needed to run from the tiger chasing you, you would have to be very focused on wherever it is you're going. Mm. You do not have the quote unquote luxury Mm. of checking out your peripheral vision, looking around. You don't have that luxury when you're running away from the tiger. So when you can, with your eyes, tell your body, it's safe right now. Everything's fine. I don't need to be focused very forward on the target that I'm trying to get at. I can relax. It tells your body everything is okay. We're safe right now. So imagine going into a conversation with your kid when you are in that state of everything is fine. It changes 
how you would respond to the same meltdown. And on the flip side, if your child comes into an interaction when their nervous system is very chill, that changes how they respond when their sibling knocks over their tower that they built. (laughs) So fascinating. I love the figure eight. I've done the figure eight on my kids after using technology. I've heard to do that over their eyes, helps re-regulate their brain also and recalibrate them back to like a state of, of natural being. So that's interesting. I love that. That's a great. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I find the technology, um, that the, the stage of technology going back into the cupboard at the end of the day right. or whatever that causes some chaos sometimes. And so that recalibration has been really helpful. Hmm. Totally. Because technology, if you think about it, if you look at, I don't know if you spend time watching what your children are watching. It makes my it makes me like like cranks up, right? Yes, yes, it, it is regulating yeah. on purpose, right? It's designed to be like that, not because not because of any kind of malicious yeah. intention, but it is designed to keep you very kind of focused. Yeah. Things change all the time on the screen. There is no, there's no lull, right? This is how it keeps you addicted. Unless you're in fight and flight like constantly, right? Like that's got to be after like a couple hours of that. It's got to be very taxing on their nervous system. Exactly. And that's so that what you're doing with your kids, and I love that, is you're communicating back to the body. Mm -hmm. Everything is okay. There is no actual threat right now. There is no... Um, there is no real reason for the nervous system to be on high alert. The screen put us there, (laughs) bring our body back. Yeah. Gosh, it's so crazy. I mean, that's one thing that we're constantly fighting against as parents is the technology that's got them so engaged in this like stress mode. Um, yeah, it's challenging. And so, I mean, I think that I'm, I've noticed like the behavior that comes right after that is just not normal behavior. It's like, holy right. smokes. But I think now that you're explaining that in that way, it's because they're at that heightened nervous system. It's just wrecked. At that right. Point. And if you didn't have this awareness, you might see your children being really reactive and like you said, kind of not normal after a screen. And you would think to yourself, what the heck is wrong with my kids? Why are they doing that? And you might get annoyed. You That, that might create some reactivity in you too. Because here's the other thing. Human beings are highly affected by one another's nervous system state. In other words, if I'm in a room with you and you are highly reactive, that's going to affect me. I'm going to respond to your nervous system's heightened state. Mm -hmm. So when we think of this in the context of parents and children, (laughs) when the kids are highly dysregulated, it dysregulates us too. Mm -hmm. So when we can become more aware of how important it is to stay regulated or how important it is to know how do I bring myself back to regulation after I've been dysregulated? That is a super powerful tool for us as parents, Mm -hmm. right? And then 
we could then, what, once we understand our own bodies, how, how do I, as a grown up, how do I bring myself back to regulation? What regulates me, right? We don't even know what regulates us. This is like how at square one, most of us are. Like yeah. forget the fact that we don't even know that we are dysregulated. Even when we find out, we're like, okay, Rachel, I get what you're saying. I'm dysregulated when I'm yelling. How do I, how do I get back to regulation? Nobody's ever, I don't even know if I've ever been regulated. That's what parents say to me, right? So that is about you understanding yourself better, knowing yourself better, knowing your body, knowing what are, what are the cues that dysregulate you? What are the cues that regulate you, right? You have to know these things about yourself. Then you can also help your child figure that out for themselves because your body is different than someone else's body. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And I love in the schools, like, I don't know about the schools where you are, but where we are, like the kids are learning this self-regulation in the classrooms now, which I think is great because obviously we weren't taught that as kids. And so they're going to the the board. Are you in a yellow? Are you red today? Are you green today? Like, where are you? And then here's some things you can do to help you get from one to another. And it's like, it's so fantastic to see they're teaching us these things when they're coming home. And it's like, oh, this is really good that they're able to do that. But I see how now parents now, kids are learning it at school. Parents are still at square one. Parents need to catch up (laughs) and get get on the bandwagon. (laughs) Exactly. Because two things. Number one, children's nervous system is not developed until they're 25. So they have a long way to go. Even if you have a, a bigger kid in your house, but I know on this podcast, the our listeners like me, we have school age kids. So they have a long way to go before their nervous systems are kind of like ready for prime time. So that's why it's super important for us as parents to become really aware of this, because when our kids are dysregulated, they need us to be regulated in order to help them downregulate too. So we are the tool that our children need to use. So if we're not regulated, guess what they're going to get from us? More dysregulation, right? That's why it becomes super important for us to understand this. Mm -hmm. And the other part of it is, it's great to know how to kind of regulate yourself in the moment or outside of the moment. It doesn't replace, and it shouldn't replace, knowing how to feel your feelings, Mm -hmm. knowing how to express your feelings, right? Because sometimes I think parents want to use regulating tools as a means to shut up, shut their kids up, shut themselves up, right? Don't, don't be so loud. Let's regulate. So you're not having a meltdown. Sometimes the feeling gets repressed instead of learning how to feel feelings, which again, back to your point earlier, we weren't taught how to do that. There, we weren't allowed we for the most part. Figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. This is why. This is a tough generation. We got to figure ourselves out as well as the kids at the same time. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Wow. So good. Well, Rachel, this has been fantastic and so much great insight for our parents. Where can we find out more information about what you do and how you help people? So I would say the best place to go is Instagram. And my handle is Rachel Duffy here, all one word, just my name, R-A-C-H-E-L Duffy, D-U-F-F-Y here. 
um, on Instagram. You can also find me on my podcast, which is called the Unscrew You Podcast. And, you know, either way, reach out to me there. I'd love to hear. Um, just say hi. <laughs> awesome. I love it. And you have a free mini guide to raising kids without raising your voices. Um, so we'll put the link to that in our show notes for you uh, as well, everyone. So that is at uh, pages.rachelduffyhere.com forward slash mini in case you want to write that down. Otherwise, go to the show notes and we'll have it linked up there. And then also you have a parenting Facebook group too, right? I do. I have a Facebook group where um, parents come together. It's free. And uh, I would love for you to find me there. Uh, I think we also have the link for that in the show notes. Um, But it's you can kind of search on Facebook. It's parenting um, for resilience and confidence. Okay, awesome. That sounds great. Uh, Sounds like an awesome group. Maybe we should check it out because us as parents need to have that support as well. So I love it. Uh, Any last words from you, Rachel? Any last tips for our parents before I let you go today? I want want parents to leave with hope. Mm -hmm. You don't have to muddle through this parenting experience. You don't have to settle for a quote unquote good enough family. If there's a yearning in your heart for more, for a deeper connection, for more ease, for more harmony, it is possible for you because it is possible for anyone. So I I would, I would love, my wish for parents would be to take away the hope that whatever it is that is in their heart that they haven't claimed yet in their family to go do that. I love it. So good. You hear that blissful parents go out there and have a blissful week this week. Uh, make sure you check in with Rachel, check out her Facebook group, find her on Instagram and check out what she's up to so you can follow along more. Uh, thank you so much, guys. Have a fabulous week. We'll see you again. Same time, same place next week. This episode is brought to you by the Blissful Parenting Toolbox. If you're looking for better ways to communicate with your child, deal with challenging behavior, or just improve your parenting skills, our free parenting toolbox contains the best resources from our expert workshops, as well as contributions from our podcast guests. These tools could be the missing link that you've been looking for to solve everyday parenting challenges and to access highly effective ways to communicate with your child without triggering conflict, arguments, or meltdowns. The best part is that these resources, tools, and templates are completely free and are a gift to you for being a valued member of our community and subscriber to our show. To get free instant access to the Blissful Parenting Toolbox today by visiting www.blissfulparenting.com forward slash toolbox. That address again, www.blissfulparenting.com forward slash toolbox. Register today and we'll see you on the inside.